Welcome to the 199th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at the NBA, a review of the men's and women's Final Four, and our rapid-fire predictions for the MLB season, which just uh, kicked off last week. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted on our website every Thursday that website being fourth and 24.com starting in the NBA where Patrick went two and two with his weekend predictions. Similarly in major league baseball, Patrick went two and two with his first set of weekend series predictions. That means Patrick won a combined four and four on his weekend predictions last week. That brings him to a 697 and 445 overall record, a 61.0 winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions. Well, I mean, I, I thought that, it was a pretty good week. I think that I should have gone three and one in the MLB. Um, the Rangers swept the Phillies, which was a win for me. The Yankees took two or three from the Giants, which is the other win. And the Cardinals took two or three from the Blue Jays, which is a loss. I kind of flip-flopped on that one going back and forth. Um, ended up picking the Blue Jays, and that was wrong, but I'm okay with that. Um, but the big one was the Red Sox taking two of three from the Orioles. The reason why that's the big one is because the Orioles had a chance to win a game in the series and not only just a game in the series, but win the second game of the series after winning the first game. Um, and Ryan McKenna dropped a really, I mean, obviously, I, you know, not, uh, not every person in the world can catch an MLB pop fly, but for an MLB left fielder who was put into the game for his defense to drop the, the fly ball that he did was just insane that that happened. And then of course, the Red Sox, literally a few batters later, uh, there were two outs in the ninth inning. So I would have ended the game if he had just caught that pop fly. But then the very next batter was Adam Duvall, who hit a two-run home run to walk it off for the Red Sox. And they went on to win the Sunday game and win the series. So I, I, I feel like I should have been 3-1 and in the MLB there uh, for that reason. In the NBA, though, I feel like it was pretty fair. Um, the Celtics destroyed the Bucks. I'll talk a little bit more about that later in the NBA segment, but they won 140 to 99. I picked the Bucs, uh, so I got that one wrong. The Knicks beat the Cavs 130 to 116. I picked the Cavaliers to win that game, so I got that wrong. Uh, the Suns beat the Nuggets 100 to 93, which was a win for me. And then the Pelicans beat the Clippers 122 to 114. So that was a win for me. So overall, not too bad. Um, we didn't end up count. I, I didn't end up going back and tracking our final four predictions, but I, I know actually that. Well, maybe I will track it because we actually did go 3-0, actually, both of us, because we both picked San Diego State to beat FAU and picked UConn to beat San Diego State um, after that, after UConn had beaten Miami. Um, reason why I didn't put that in there is because uh, the graphic looks pretty weird when there aren't uh, four teams on it. So I typically don't do that when I just make the prediction on the podcast. I just leave the podcast as the prediction itself, but... I would like to throw in that we both went 3-0 in that regard, and I'll probably add that to the overall record, and it will be reflected next week. Okay, well, speaking of next week, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursday. Let's move on. We have a big agenda this morning uh, with the addition of Major League Baseball to the roster and overlapping with NCAA basketball. And let's move on to our weekly recap of the NBA, starting with, as always, your three most impressive teams of the past week. Well, it's a bigger agenda, but I will be much quicker on everything um, than I will be in the future. Uh, we're getting near playoff time in the NBA, so it's very, very important uh, starting next week, really, to really start paying attention to this. 
uh, now that March Madness is over. Um, about four, three or four games left for every team. When you look up and down the standings, you know the magic number at the end of the season is 82 games. Um, you look at the Lakers, they've played 78. The Warriors have played 79. You go on and on and on. I'm not going to do that. Um, but three or four games left for most teams. Um, so getting down to really, I think this is the last week of the season. Um, not quite sure on that, but it, it should end pretty soon in the playoffs, I believe, start sometime next week. Um, but the Lakers were my number one most impressive team of the week. Speaking of them, uh, they beat Houston, Minnesota, and Chicago. Look, the Lakers are 6-1 and one since trading Russ with LeBron playing as well. Um, I think they're 15-7 and seven overall, something like that. So they reworked their roster at the trade deadline, and it has worked for them. Um, it has carried them through a really good season, or not re a really good season, but really good end to an otherwise mediocre season. And when you look at the standings, the Lakers are currently in seventh, just a half game back of the Clippers and the Warriors, who are both tied for the fifth seed. So the Lakers still have a chance, not only a chance, but they actually, I believe, control their own destiny to get the five seed uh, in the West, which is pretty crazy when you think of everything that has happened um, over the course of the season and where they've been. And it looks like they're pretty clear of stay, uh, of missing the playoffs at this point due to uh, – a few other teams that we're going to talk about later, uh, not playing well at the wrong at, at the worst time of the year that you could do so. Uh, but the Lakers on a three-game winning streak, seven and three in their last ten as well. So very impressive week for them. Same thing with the Phoenix Suns; they went four zero. They beat OKC, Denver, Minnesota, and Utah. They have won five games in a row. They are just six and four in their last ten. But that five-game win streak was enough to give them the separation of two and a half games over the teams that are tied for the five seed. Those being Clippers and the Warriors, as I mentioned earlier, not going to get the three seed because I think them and Sacramento both have four games left. Sacramento has the tiebreaker over Phoenix because they beat them twice um, and they are four games back of them. So they won't get the three seed, but they could still get the four seed. And uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't really know if there are, is any advantage to uh, um, getting the four seed other than the fact that they will host that first playoff series rather than be on the road. So somewhat important for that aspect, but not much of a difference between four and three just changes, obviously what opponents are playing. Um, but I mean, the way that seeding is going this year, it's really hard to tell if that's actually an advantage or not. And then the final team here, the New York Knicks went four and zero. they have four wins in a row. They're also fighting uh, for seeding in the playoffs. They beat Washington, Cleveland and Miami and also Houston. Sorry. Uh, four wins in a row. They have clinched a playoff spot. They are two and a half games ahead of the Nets. So it looks like they won't be falling into the play-in bracket. But the Cavs are seven and three in their last, um, or sorry, no, they won't be falling into the play-in bracket. Duh, they clinched the playoffs. <laughs> um, the Heat are four and a half games back of them. Sorry, I looked at the wrong team there. Uh, but the Cavs are seven and three in their last 10. So it doesn't look like the Knicks are going to be able to jump over them and claim the four seed to get home field in a series or home court advantage in a series. And it looks like that will be the first round matchup, uh, the Knicks versus the Cavs with the winner likely facing the Bucks in the second round of the end of the Eastern conference playoffs. Okay. Let's move to the other side of the coin again, as always uh, the most disappointing teams of the past week in the NBA. I will start with the Dallas Mavericks. They lost to Atlanta, Miami, and Philadelphia. Uh, they won against Indiana against Indiana. Uh, they've lost seven of eight games. The Mavericks just, they fell apart at the wrong time of the season. They need to win out, and they also need the Thunder to go one and two or 
the min or Minnesota to lose out for them to make the playoffs, which is just a crazy scenario. That that's what had to happen. Uh, they lost the tiebreakers against both teams. So really, really bad for Dallas. I mean, honestly, you can't say much more about it other than the fact that this situation is just really, really bad. Um, and they kind of created a very bad collapse. Um, one of the worst collapses that there can be. Uh, but at the same time, they should be out of playoff contention. The only reason they're still in playoff contention is because of the next two teams we're about to talk about, the Timberwolves, who also went 1-3 and three last week, and the Thunder, who also went 1-3 and three last week. They're a little 2A and 2B. Uh, but the Timberwolves lost to Portland, the Lakers, and Phoenix, and they beat Sacramento. Uh, the Thunder lost to Phoenix, Indiana, and Charlotte. They beat Detroit. The reason why I'm just grouping those two teams together is because both of them are right at the bottom of the Western Conference play in standings. Both of them are four and six in their last 10 games, while the Lakers and the Pelicans are seven and three each. Um, shout out to the Pelicans. They also had a really good week this week to kind of ensure their playoff standing. Um, they will probably be in that seven, eight game in the playoff. It'd be very unlikely, in my opinion, for the Timberwolves to come up and snatch that spot from them. Uh, but it's still possible. However, I think it will be the Pelicans. Um, but look, those two teams, the Timberwolves and the Thunder, they just, they're falling apart right now. Um, they're lucky that both the Mavericks and the Jazz are just playing horribly, honestly. Um, in their last 10 games, they're both three and seven in their last 10. So they've actually, st they're actually still safe in terms of uh, the playoffs, in terms of making the play in bracket, I should say. Uh, but the, the problem is just that making the play in is not enough. And the way that they're playing at the end of the season, I don't see how either of these teams are going to go ahead and beat the Lakers or the Pelicans, whoever loses that game to claim that playoffs, to, to claim that final playoff spot. I just don't see it happening with how they're playing right now. So those two definitely uh, the most disappointing of the week, along with the Mavericks who have more talent than those two teams, but still are also collapsing at the wrong time of the year. All right. Well, who do you have as your player of the week last week? I gave it to Jason Tatum of the Celtics. Uh, he had 35.7 points. 9.3 rebounds and three assists per game, including 40 points in Boston's destruction of the Bucks on 12 of 18 shooting. The Celtics are trying to show how dominant they can be, and this performance went a long way in doing just that uh, against the other top dog in the East. That wraps up our look at the NBA. Let's transition over to college basketball, um, starting with the NCAA tournament. As you mentioned before, uh, I want to talk about the final four results and our uh, predictions. You've mentioned our predictions. Maybe you just talk about the results. Well, yes, I did talk about our predictions a little bit because we were unanimous there. Um, but we both had uh, Miami. Uh, sorry, we both had San Diego State beating FAU and Miami losing to UConn. That's exactly what happened. San Diego State beat FAU 72 to 71. UConn beat Miami 72 to 59. Um, to be quite honest with you, the San Diego State FAU game was a little bit rough on the eyes. There was just, you know, there, there was some good three-point shooting overall, but both teams kind of just struggled um, from the field. San Diego State really struggled from the free throw line. Uh, while they were trying to make a comeback, they kept getting to the line but couldn't really convert there. Frankly, they were lucky that they were able to make that full comeback, if you, if you want me to be honest from being 14 points down, but at the same time, they deserve credit. And uh, they got a berth in the national championship game, which is, I mean, that's all you can ask for as a fan of any fan base, uh, short of winning the title itself. 
Uh, and then UConn, you know, despite Nigel Pack shoot shoe shoe gate, um, I don't really think Miami was gonna win this game. Uh, I think UConn just came out and just played better. They are a more balanced team. They have the same amount of offensive firepower as a team that's dominant on offense like Miami. But at the same time, they play such good defense to counter to to balance that that there are just no teams that are as unbalanced as Miami that could actually beat them. Um, and then in the championship game, UConn beat San Diego State seventy six to fifty nine. Really, the same thing. Um, San Diego State, on the other hand, not an offensive team. They are a defensive heavy team. But even though they were able to limit UConn a little bit, stop them from making shots at the clip that they have throughout the tournament, uh, UConn's defense is just too good to let a, a team that's not so great on offense score a lot on them. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Uh, it felt like against Miami, UConn turned up the defensive intensity to keep Miami to 59. And then in this game, it felt like UConn turned up the execution against a better, a much better defense to score more, but still allow a, a worse offense to score the exact same amount of points. But I mean, look, UConn came out and they dominated. They didn't lose to a non-Big East team all season long. 17-0 total, 14-8 against Big East teams on the year uh, for a 31-8 overall record and a national championship. Probably, without a doubt, the best program of the last two and a half decades, um, although also the most volatile because they've also while winning five national championships and having an undefeated record in both the final four and the national championship game, I think they've also missed something like seven or eight tournaments in the meantime. So very, very interesting run of 25 years for UConn, but it can't be denied the success that they've had. Yeah, definitely some up and down moments, but uh, looks like the program is on uh, the same footing. It was on the solid footing. It was on under Jim Calhoun under Danny Hurley, although Kevin Ollie managed to win a title in there, despite that being, part of the rocky road all right do you want to move over to the women's final four which we didn't preview last week yes we will do that starting with iowa who beat south carolina 77 to 73 uh, in the first game there look caitlin clark is just sensational um that's all you can really say about this game the fact that iowa was able to take down the sec champs the undefeated the reigning champions whatever you want to call them south carolina team uh number one overall seed it's just it's remarkable. I think most people had South Carolina winning um, not only this game, but winning the national championship. So for Iowa to come out, have Caitlin Clark have that kind of a performance, I believe a 40 point triple double in this game. And then also just win, win that game. It's just, I mean, you can't say enough about it. She, she's just an insane player. Um, but you know, South Carolina will be back next year. Don Staley's an amazing coach and there's no stopping the dynasty that is South Carolina now. Um, LSU then in the second final, uh, in the second semifinal, I should say, beat Virginia Tech 79 to 72. Virginia Tech came on strong, really, really strong at the end of the season. Um, but LSU with Angel Reese, uh, just able to get a little bit of an edge over Virginia Tech and just barely eke out a close win. Um, so look, that set up a title matchup between LSU and Iowa, Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark, two of the game's best players. Um, and and I honestly think that this could have been the women's version of the 1979 Magic versus Bird, uh, Indiana State versus Ma Michigan State National Championship game. Um, LSU beat Iowa 102-85, to 85, but it was a great display of individual skill um, by Caitlin Clark, by Angel Reese, um, by, by Jasmine Carson, just a lot of different players who contributed in this game. Monica Sinano, who barely even dribbles, but is able to put up 20 points um, in games like this. Um, but, you know, there was obviously the obvious distraction of the refs. They kind of, I mean, really, in the, especially in the first quarter, they 
they made they made the game a lot worse in the first quarter. Um, and it is what it is. But at the same time, yes, they took people out of the game and put the best players in foul trouble. But this was still a magnificent game to watch. Um, in terms of viewership, it was only three hundred thousand viewers short of the Rose Bowl this year. Which, when you're comparing, um, really any women's sport to the Rose Bowl, and it's up there in viewership, that is something that should be celebrated. Um, I, I have a feeling it'll start surpassing Rose Bowls, especially if they're as uninteresting as the second half of Penn State, Utah. Um, in the future, in the very near future, honestly, I've already had more viewers than the UConn Gonzaga Elite Eight game by a pretty considerable amount of a million and a half, uh, uh, one and a half million, I believe, maybe two million, something around that mark. Um, but look, I actually think that, and I've and I've said this before, but not on podcast on the podcast, but I have said this outside the podcast. I think an even bigger opportunity exists next year with Caitlin Clark versus Paige Beckers in uh, in an Iowa versus UConn matchup, if it were to happen. Um, they've been the projected top two picks in the 2024 WNBA draft since really the start of people talking to, or, or the start of people starting to talk about that draft. Um, and it looks like those two will be going first and probably leading the WNBA into a new era of success. Um kind of jumping off this national title game. And that's what I mean in the significance between the magic versus bird game. That was kind of what launched college basketball as an entity and really helped up the overall popularity of the NBA as well. Um, And then magic and bird went on to play each other many times in the NBA finals on the Lakers and Celtics, as we know. Um, But, you know, I I think that Clark versus Beckers could be that exact matchup um, that college, that women's college basketball needs to really, 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 really cement the growth of the sport. And I would be very happy if it didn't even need that matchup and it already happened with this year's matchup between LSU and Iowa um, because it's a great springboard to jump off already. But if it's going to grow even further, that would be an amazing matchup for fans to tune into. That would be an electric game if it were to happen, um, especially because Iowa's kind of on the up and up as a program um, in UConn kind of really just getting, or sorry, UConn being the dynasty and Iowa just kind of getting their start as an up and up program. And same thing, by the way, if LSU were to play Iowa, um, the one thing about the women's game is that the players stay around longer because of the eligibility rules. So, you know, with UConn in the men's game, they're probably going to have maybe three or four players leave um, that could stay otherwise. But with this game, Caitlin Clark has to stay. Angel Reese has to stay. Paige Beckers will be staying as well. Um, so it's a very interesting opportunity and I really am excited for the growth of women's college basketball in the future. Yeah. I love your analogy to the 1979 game. And, um, also your take on the fact that, you know, it might be that fans like, like it when players stick around and there's rivalries that are born, even though that was the last game for magic and bird, but, uh, first half of that national championship game was some of the best shooting and best, most exciting basketball you ever see. Certainly the first half of that women's national championship game was way more entertaining uh, then all of the first uh, first game of the final four, but for the final minutes with uh, with San Diego State making that comeback and hitting that last second shot. All right. Well, I agree with you. Um, hopefully that's a springboard for women's basketball um, and the exposure it's getting in all of women's sports. Let's move back to a sport that really doesn't have uh, any women's sports component. I guess that's softball. We love that. But baseball, Major League Baseball action kicked off last Thursday. Season is uh, now in full swing, and you wanted to do some rapid predictions of the MLB season. So I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you start. 
Well, they don't have to be as rapid, actually, because we have gone. Um, we've been we've been pretty quick throughout the rest of the podcast, which that's good. Good, quick analysis is always good analysis. Um, but we will start with NLCS predictions where I have the Dodgers over the Braves in six games. Probably it'll be a pretty close series. Honestly, you could just say seven series if you want it, seven games if you want. Um, but I, I do believe that, you know, I, I've just looked at all these rosters and I don't see a top three pitching staff kind of that's as dominant as, you know, the ones of the past. You think of the Nationals in 2019, you think of any of the Astros teams that have made it, um, even the Braves with how well. Charlie Morton was pitching two years ago, fit that same script. You have the 2020 Dodgers who had a really, really good pitching staff with Kershaw Bueller and then Arias coming out of the bullpen and May as a starter as well with Gonsolin piggybacking off of them. Um, by the way, all of those players are still on the Dodgers, which is part of the reason that I'm picking the Dodgers over the Braves. All those guys that led them to the 2020 title are still there, whereas some of the pitchers on those other teams have actually left, changed, changed destinations. Um, the Braves will definitely be here because they have found Max Freed um, and Spencer Strider to be a great young duo of aces there. And then obviously Charlie Morton is still there, very clutch in the playoffs. Um, and he will probably still be a very impactful starter um, when when it comes down to clutch time. Uh, but I still have the Dodgers win the NLCS. Maybe this is wishful thinking as a fan, but you'll see in a second that it's maybe not that wishful when I uh, reveal how I have them ending the season. But I do think, I will say in the NL, in the landscape of the NL overall, the Cardinals do have the best lineup, but I just don't trust any of their pitching. I just don't know how you can rely on Jack Flaherty, who's coming back from many, many injuries, and also Adam Wainwright, who's just on his last legs of his career, to kind of lead a pitching staff into the play, and Jordan Montgomery as well, to lead um, a pitching staff this far into the playoffs. I think they will be a very good team, and I really wouldn't be surprised to see them there. They will definitely win their division. But I don't know if they're if they're hitting is enough to just power them through a playoff run because that typically has been the downfall of those types of teams is that they just don't have enough pitching and pitching wins in the playoffs. Okay, well I'm going to go with the uh, everybody's fancy pick, you know, the shiny new object, the Padres and their bolstered lineup um, over the Dodgers in seven, um, and I'm doing this because uh, I'm hoping it jinxes the Padres. Um, I don't even know I, I, when I did this prediction, I was like, okay, what has to happen in the playoff bracket where the Dodgers have to finish? But um, I, I uh, also that the Padres win the, win the West, um, make up that 20 some odd game difference from last year um, over the Dodgers, but ultimately the Dodgers pitching the depth at the, the, the pitching at the top of their rotation, um, which, you know, is, is good. And their experience is going to come through Um and get them to game seven. And then unfortunately uh, the Padres uh, inflict some heartbreak on our beloved Dodgers in seven. But again, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wrong here. Um, so let's move over to, and I agree with you about the other teams. It's the Braves, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, Padres are in the mix. We didn't talk about the Phillies in the national league. Um, I think both of you and I think that they're not going to repeat and they might be a little overhyped, but it's going to be one of those four teams. Before we um, that, move that on to the AL, you did miss you did miss the actual obvious contender that neither of us talked about, which is the Mets. The Mets. Um, yeah, sorry about the Mets. The yeah. Phillies are actually the only winless team in MLP as of right now. So I think maybe partially that's what's influencing my opinion on them. But I, I didn't think that they were that quality last year in the first place. I picked the Cardinals in the series over the Phillies. Um, I, I, I think they honestly had an, a March Madness-esque Cinderella run. Um, I don't actually think that that quality is still there. And then the injuries that they've had 
are just, I think, too much to overcome. Yeah, the stars definitely aligned for the Phillies last year. All right, let's move over to the American League. Well, this would be a familiar story. Um, I have the Astros over the Yankees in five games. I do think the Yankees are a much improved team this year. Um, I don't think they'll be bowing out in the NLDS again, but I just don't see a way that they're able to overcome the monster that is the Astros that have haunted them for so long. I just don't really see it. Um, So I'm picking the Astros over the Yankees in five games. Maybe it's too cliche. Um, Maybe I can't go. Maybe I'm just bad at going out on limbs in terms of predictions, but the Astros, yes, they lost Justin Verlander, but he didn't even have that great of a postseason last year. It was really the rest of the pitching staff that was carrying them through it. And I really do believe that Framber Valdez um, and Luis Garcia and Christian Javier are still enough to win a, na- a, a national championship. You can tell I'm thinking of college basketball, um, a World Series. I, I really do think that pitching is enough. Um, and I do think that their lineup hasn't really missed a beat at all. They added Jose Abreu in the offseason as well which is an upgrade from Yuli Gurriel. Um, Something that you didn't expect that team to do was upgrade at really any position. And I think they'll do it again at the trade deadline, most likely. Last year, they brought in Trey Mancini and some guys in the bullpen. This year, you might see the same thing. I don't know exactly what position they might upgrade at. Maybe in the outfield. I mean, look, if Brian Reynolds is still on the market, I would say the Astros are kind of a dark horse that no one's really thinking about as a team that would vie for him with Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker already in the picture and Jake Myers and Chas McCormick as well. But I do think that they could be a dark horse that could just sweep in there and, and make that deal. They could also make kind of a series of smaller deals, which is what they tend to do. Uh, but regardless, I do think that the Astros are good enough to not only win the ALCS, but win the world series as we'll see in a second with my prediction for that. All right. Well, I'm going to, uh, think I'm going to go contrary and I think it's going to be the Astros and Yankees. Uh, part of this is I didn't want to pick the same thing as you. I think the Yankees finally figure out a way to get it done. It may be that they get it done because the Astros don't make it, but I got the Yankees over the Astros in seven. You did mention something um, that I, that I meant to mention earlier, which is uh, this, this, this year, I think more than any other is really going to come down to I'm, a lot of years do this, but who the, the curveball here is who's going to make a big splash at the trade deadline um, to try to get something done. And I think the Yankees, if they, uh, if they sense that they've got a championship caliber team, are going to go all in. They are starved for a championship over there. And I think they're going to, as always, uh, go overboard, but, but get it done this year. Yankees over Astros in seven, which brings us to our World Series predictions. Um, I, I kind of spoiled this a little bit, but I have the Astros winning the World Series. I have them beating the Dodgers in seven games. Um, we will be at that point six years removed from the Astros versus Dodgers series that was the cheating scandal series. So. If anybody wants to, if this actually does happen, I will say right now, if anybody wants to say that that would be proof that it didn't matter that the Astros cheated, you're just wrong. The rosters are entirely different. If this were to happen, I know this is way too much of a hypothetical, but both teams really only have four or five guys that are the same. Um, Some of the Astros young guys maybe played some of a role on that team. Most of them weren't even there at all, to be honest. A lot of the guys that were playing for both teams have retired since then. Uh, Clayton Kershaw has surrendered the opening day starting uh, spot twice now to Bueller and to Arias. Uh, you look at if this is actually going to happen, Bueller's probably not even going to pitch um, because of his injury status. You know, the Dodgers don't have Bellinger. The Dodgers don't have Chuck Peterson, Kike Hernandez. The list goes on and on and on. The Astros, same thing with 
uh, George Springer, you know, Carlos Correa. It's a long list. Um, they're completely different teams, but at the same time, you can really see that these West juggernauts have just rebuilt over and over and over again while being able to sustain winning. They know what they're doing. And I just trust these organizations when it comes to winning in the best, in, in the most important times of the year, more than I trust any others. Although I will say there are plenty of other contenders in the AL, honestly. Um, you look at the Blue Jays, uh, you look at even, you can look at the upstart Orioles if you really, really want to. The Guardians are improved this year. The Mariners have some stars. The Angels have that duo at the top of their lineup always um, of Otani and Trout. So there's there's actually a lot of parity this year, I think, in MLB. And that's something that I'm excited um, about because I feel like I haven't looked at a lineup this year, including uh, other than maybe the Dodgers, because I know the organization well. Um, but I haven't looked at a single lineup this year and said, I know all these guys like top to bottom. This is a really amazing team. I, I've looked at the top one through six and went, wow, that's a great team. But, you know, the Padres have young guys at the bottom of their lineup. The Dodgers have rookies at the bottom of theirs. Uh, there are a lot of other teams that have, those guys at the bottom of their lineup. And because of that, there will be a lot of parity this year and we will just have to see what happens. I do think that a trade deadline splash, maybe for Corbin Burns, uh, potentially could be the thing that swings everything. So if you're an MLB fan, that's a fan of a contending team, root for the Brewers to collapse and for Corbin Burns to be traded somewhere. Um, and then just hope that that team is your team. And for my sake, um, I'm going to, go with the Padres over the Yankees in six. Uh, neither team would I like to see win the World Series. So I'm hoping that I'm wrong. Uh, this is this is again more of an emotional uh, jinx, but you know the Padres have the talent to get over the get over the hump. Um, I didn't want to predict the same thing as you. Uh, so I'm gonna go Padres over Yankees in six be a very exciting series uh, if that were to happen. Um, and so now let's move on to our picks for the NL MVP. Starting with my pick, I am picking Mookie Betts. He had a great year last year, finished top five in MVP voting, but I do think that this year he will start even stronger, and as a result, he will be able to take it into an MVP-level season, and he will win the NL MVP. And I'm going to say Ronald Acuna Jr. powers the Braves to uh, win their division and a, and a nice postseason run, which I think doesn't matter in the voting. Am I correct in that? It's done before that the postseason, is done. which is yeah, a major, 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 major flaw in Major League Baseball. Um, but I think Ronald Acuna Jr. has a has a great season for the Braves, powers them to a great regular season, and uh, takes the NL MVP. Um, so, who do you have in the American League? I have Shohei Otani. I, I think that Judge. I mean, look now that now that you know everybody has said, oh, Aaron Judge, he had the one amazing season. He'll his numbers will start to go down a little bit. They'll decline. The way he started the season, it's hard to say that. But at the same time, the fact that Shohei pitches and hits, it's just too much. And I really do think that um, the Angels actually have their best chance in a while to actually win some games and play meaningful baseball and make um, the MLB playoffs. And if they are, there's no way that the MVP wouldn't come from this team, whether it's him or Trout. But I will pick Otani out of those two. Yeah, and I think Mike Trout's going to have a big rebound year. Um, and Otani's obviously the obvious pick. He's got a he's got a built-in inherent advantage given that he pitches and hits. But I went the other way. I agree with you. I think the Angels are going to have a, a better season. I think it's going to be powered by both Otani and Trout. But I think Trout's just going to have a massive year. Um, and you know, if he doesn't get MVP, 
maybe comeback player of the year. I don't know. Uh, let's move over to the National League again, the Cy Young Award. I'm going to go a little bit off the board. I don't know if you can really call this off the board, but I think Zach Gallen is going to power the young Diamondbacks to a season where they finish above 500. I don't really know if they're going to make the playoffs or not, but I actually really like the young core that they have, um, as you'll see with some of the other later predictions that I have. Um, but for that reason, I think that Zach Gallen, he finished, I think, top three actually last year. I think it was him um Urias and Alcantara if I'm not mistaken uh but I think that this year he takes a little bit of a step up and he's on a considerably better team even if they don't make the playoffs which I don't think they're going to but I still think they're going to be in the mix um and as a result I think he will win the NL Cy Young just because his team has more recognition than it would have gotten last year and you'll see my theme about uh in the National League, that the you know the Braves having an outstanding regular season and claiming postseason awards. I'm going with Max Fried, um, great young talent. Again, you and I probably wanted to not pick one of the uh, maybe bigger names, and frankly, the reason why I didn't want to pick some of the bigger names is they're old, um, and I'm not confident they're going to make it through the season. Um, probably if Walker Bueller were healthy, I may have picked Walker Bueller, but I'm going with Max Fried. Uh, how about over in the American League? Well, in the American League, I am going to go with. Uh, Dylan Cease, I think really last year, he probably should have won it. Um, he should have been, it, it was, it was a close race, obviously between him and Justin Verlander, but Verlander's gone. So if you ask me in Cease comes to take that award away from Verlander because, well, he's not there anymore. Verlander's also injured to start the season. So that doesn't really help his case as the NL Cy Young. The obvious case is that, well, Yes, Verlander is in the NL now, but who's in the AL? It's Jacob deGrom. Um, that's kind of the obvious front runner for everybody. But And I, I will say, I don't believe the overall narratives that he's injury prone, but I do think that the Rangers will try to limit his innings to an extent um, to make sure that he does stay healthy just because of the concerns over the last few seasons. He's not actually injury prone, um, but I, I still do believe that they might limit him as a result. And I also do think that, you know, maybe I'm being skewed a little bit by the first results because Dylan Cease was amazing against the Astros while while DeGrom was really tossed around by the Phillies who still haven't won a game yet. Um, so maybe that's affecting that. Um, but at the same time, I, I do believe in Dylan Cease as a Cy Young contender, and I'm going to pick him as my winner. All right, and me being consistent with, hey, the guys who are going to win these awards are the guys who are going to help their, under, their teams to a um, – to a great season. I'm going to go with Carlos Rodon. Um, and I might be pronouncing his last name wrong. Um, Cause I always want to pronounce the name of a monster from Godzilla movies when I was little. Um, so uh, anyway, I think he'll be a great addition to the Yankee staff. Yankees will have a, a great regular season. He's in New York, a lot of hype. Um, so I'm going to go with him. Let's move over to the rookie of the year, starting in the national league. Well, I said, I like the Diamondbacks young core, the core itself of the core is core Ben Carroll. Um, that's a horrible pun. But look, this dude, I, I already saw him win a game single-handedly against the Dodgers um, on Sunday. He's He got on base um, with a single. Then he stole second. Then he stole third. Will Smith didn't even make a throw on either play because there was no chance he had at getting him. The one to third, he actually double-clutched a little bit, but I don't really think he was going to make the throw, and I think that's maybe the reason why he double-clutched the ball. Uh, but this dude just... Speed, when you consider the new rules, he might steal 40 or 50 bases this year. 
Um, and he's also an elite hitter in general. He's also an elite defender already. And he is probably the fastest player in the league. Um, so combine all those things, combine the speed with how much of an impact speed is going to make this year. And I really do think that on an upstart Diamondbacks team, he will be the guy who ends up winning rookie of the year um, for that reason. Well, and I'm going to go with our favorite Dodgers player, um, James. I don't make a lot of outs, man. Uh, James Outman. I think uh, he's going to get an opportunity to play a lot with some of the moves in the Dodgers roster. Um, he's got that combination of well, bat speed. He's not he's not as fast as Corbin Carroll, but he can steal bases too. So I uh, really like. I mean, he had two Outman. triples last night, so he's obviously fast. <laughs> yeah, one of them on a bad throw, but uh, but I know you love Outman. I'm surprised you didn't pick him. So uh, you left. Thank you for doing that. You left me the slot to pick him um because i'm not as well versed on rookies in the national league as you are um and you'll see that in my american league pick uh let's move over to the american league and see who you have picked well i picked masataka yoshida um i think one of the japanese players is going to win rookie of the year at least that i i was very very heavily considering kodai senga um for the nl rookie of the year as well because he's going to be on a very very successful team that being the mets um but i'm giving it to yoshida um, on the Red Sox, he already had his first home run opposite field over the monster, which is insane. The way that Fenway is organized will probably limit his power a little bit as he is a lefty. Um, but I, I do think that the Red Sox aren't going to be as terrible as people think. And I think that as a result, he's hitting cleanup in their lineup already. So he has a lot. You said James Outman has a lot of opportunities. He also has the advantage of not actually being a true rookie and that he's played professional baseball in Japan for years already. It's just that for rookie of the year voting, they are the Japanese players who come over from that league are considered rookies and rightfully so. It is their first year in the league and there's always an adjustment period. But I mean, Shohei won rookie of the year um, when he came over. And I do think that Masataki Yoshida can repeat that kind of a performance. Obviously, he's not pitching also like Shohei was. Um, but I, I really do think that he might even be a better hitter this season than Shohei was in his rookie year. And I, I really think it is possible, um, although maybe unlikely, but definitely possible within the realm of possibility. I'm going to go with him as the rookie of the year in the AL. All right. And I'm going to stay consistent with my methodology, which is pick guys who are going to be on teams that do well and also the benefit from uh, maybe some media media hype. I'm going to go with Anthony Volpe, the Yankees young shortstop. Uh, you know, I, no other reason than just to just a hunch. I don't follow it as closely as you do. And I didn't want to do the same prediction as you, but um, you look, if you can succeed as a rookie in New York at the shortstop position, I think you got a good chance of winning rookie of the year. So I will, uh, I will end with that prediction um, that wraps up our rapid fire, but somewhat in depth look at uh, MLB predictions for the season. It also wraps this edition of the fourth and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which we are uh, going to keep on Tuesdays. So again, follow us next Tuesday, April 11th. On that podcast, we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions and have our weekly look back at the NBA and have our first weekly look at Major League Baseball action. Um, all of that on next Tuesday, April 1st podcast. Uh, in the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday. And his new Major League Baseball power rankings are already up and they will be updated every Wednesday. All of that content is on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.